Hey everyone, Anthony here from A10 Talk, the resident St. Joe's writer for the website, and do I have an episode for you. On this episode of the A10 Talk podcast, I am joined by the one and only Matt Gifford, aka Hawk Hill Hardwood, who covers St. Joe's basketball, the premier insider for St. Joe's basketball for 24-7 sports. Me and Matt went into everything from recruiting to Jordan Hall and if he's a star to Billy Lang and answering questions around his tenure at St. Joe's to overall season predictions. It's a great episode. We were really excited to record this and I hope you enjoy it. And of course, the Hawk will never die. Anthony here from A10 Talk, and really excited with a guest, a very special guest, I should say, Matt Gifford, aka. And Matt, let me know if I said your name wrong. Um, no, no, you nailed it. Perfect. Or better known in my eyes as Hawk Hill Hardwood. He is the premier insider on St. Joe's basketball. Has his pulse on recruiting, on any of the little tidbit news pieces of news that come out from Hawk Hill. So it's really a pleasure that Matt has been able to join us. Matt, thanks for joining the show. Oh, I love it. It's we're getting close. I can I can feel it in the air. It's exciting. Yeah, we're only one month, less than one month. I think it was like this past Wednesday was um yeah. an official one month. So I am so excited, especially after last year. St. Joe's no. and we're gonna show this is about St. Joe's for those who couldn't tell right away. We are talking about how I think, and we'll see what Matt has to think, how Billy Lang can turn the corner and bring some winning back to Hawk Hill. Um, so Matt, we're going to start off with this. How about you give a little background about yourself, where you started and how you got into writing about St. Joe's? For sure. Yeah. So, um, I graduated from St. Joe's in 2006. Um, uh, like basketball. And when I was there actually at St. Joe's, I started out as an English major. Um, I really enjoyed writing, uh, switched over to education and I'm, I, um, I'm a teacher now, but after graduating, I had my summers off and I was like, well, I like basketball. Um, there's all these like, and I didn't really follow recruiting when I was in college. Cause like most people don't, um, and certainly not in like 2004, 2005, 2006. Um, but I was like, I have all these, all this time in the summer. Why don't I go like check out some of these like AAU events and just see what's going on. And I ended up really liking it. So I said, well, I guess maybe I'll just start like a blog on my own and, uh, write mostly about recruiting and not even St. Joe centric at first. And then it kind of shifted gears and became um, really entirely St. Joe's based. And that was about like 14 years ago now that I first started writing. And then it switched over to be part of what was Scout, which is now 24-7 Sports. Um, And I want to say that was like 10 years ago now. So it's been a while. I've been doing it a long time. Uh, But yeah, that's how I got started. And it's it's definitely very much not my full-time job. But it, uh, it's something that I enjoy and, and can kind of justify putting time into it as a result of this. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you were getting in right when, you know, online blogs about sports were kind of taking over regular or traditional newspapers. So, you know, you got in right at the right moment. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And it's only grown since then. So all yep. good. OK, let's cut to the chase. What we're here to talk about is St. Joe's basketball. And I'm going to start off with probably, I think, the hardest question for Coach Lang going into the season. And that is, what is the starting lineup for St. Joe's? Now, I'm going to preface this. John Rothstein went to an open practice and he predicted, this was his prediction. He didn't say it was true or not, but he said that he believed it would be Eric Reynolds, who's a freshman, Jordan Hall, who we all, we all know and love, Taylor Funk, um, Charles Coleman, and... Ajika Obina, I'm going to probably kill his name all year long, 
But that's the starting lineup. It's going to be two centers. I mean, they're practically two centers. And Funk, who was our center last year, um, all of a sudden we're going really big out of nowhere. And so I want to, Matt, I want to hear what do you think the starting lineup is? And if it is what John Rothstein predicts, is that the right decision? Yeah, so I think John does an incredible job. John's awesome. John, um, I don't think there's really a more passionate person in, like, it was Dick Vitale. Now I would say, like, in terms of, like, just sheer energy and passion for the game of basketball, you can criticize other parts, like, I mean, just like you can for anybody, but, like, does John love college basketball? He definitely does, and I think he does a great job. Um, I think that most of that prediction is right, and I preface this with saying I have no idea. Um, I don't really know, and I don't think that we'll really know until we get a lot closer to the start of the season. I think that three of those predictions are very safe. I mean, Jordan Hall is is going to start. That should not surprise anybody. Taylor Funk is going to start. That shouldn't surprise anybody. And I feel with 99% certainty that um, Eduke Obina is going to start. I don't think that you start whatever 30 games in the SEC which maybe not the best conference in college basketball, but has the most like men in college basketball. It's like the biggest conference. You could say it's the most athletic conference. Like I think that he, with all the experience he has from Vanderbilt coming to the A-10, um, I think he starts. Like I don't even really think it's that much of a question. So that's Hall and, and Funk and Obina. I feel very confident with those three. And then after that, it's interesting. I mean, do they start? Um, Charles Coleman, CJ, I don't know, like, then you're putting Taylor at the three and probably Coleman at the four. And I think that that can do some really good things in terms of size, but like in the A-10 against like a small, quick athletic, like six, four wing is Taylor defending that. I don't know. And like, I've not seen Coleman play. Um, and I mean, hyper, hyper, highly regarded out of high school, like, legitimate duke offer legitimate wake forest commitment like he had a reputation like so the skill is there it didn't always feel like it translated in college but are you going to do like a seven one four man and i don't know like offensively what he does yet i don't think anybody here does um so i don't know i i think that to answer your question jordan hall absolutely taylor funk absolutely edgy obina absolutely and then i think for those others you're looking at two of I don't know. I'll give four names. I think you're going two of Eric Reynolds. I think you're doing Jack Forrest, Cameron Brown, and you spoke about butchering um, Casper. Uh, Klazak? Clay, I know. My Polish, yeah, I'm going to have to get so much better at it. <laughs> yeah, no. I knew I, I had to educate down. That one I was good about. Um, I'll just say Casper. Um, I think that you'll have two of those four. Um, so I actually would bump Coleman out and say that you're either going to probably see um, maybe one of those freshmen out of Eric and Casper start. Obviously, very different players. Um, and then Cameron Brown, I think you can make a case for him 100%. Um, like, super steady, consistent. And uh, I actually just am working on a profile piece on Jack Forrest right now. And in the – he great start to the year last year. He had 15 points against Auburn, 18 points against Kansas – and right before he got hurt, he had a five-game stretch where he was averaging like just over 15 points a game. Um, so he was up and down at times last year. Um, but I think you can make a case for him as a starter this year, too, just depending on what they're looking for, like whether it's more um, shooting 
more playmaking. Uh, I mean, Eric is really good. Casper is really good. I don't think you start two freshmen. Um, so it'll be fun to see. And then, I mean, like, Demir Bishop, like, what, like, he had a super highly regarded, um, saw flashes of him last year, like, a lot of inconsistency. But, I mean, there's a lot of depth. And, like, especially on the wing, a lot of competition. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things I want to highlight that you said. The first thing is putting Funk at the three. We saw his ability a little bit to take the ball from the three-point line and bring it into the paint. But as you said, can he guard someone who's 6'4"? And the other thing is, he's taller and he's definitely going to be a slower ball handler. You can tell when big men handle the ball, the ball feels like it's taking forever to go from his hand to the floor. Um, you know, someone's going to swipe at that instantly, especially if he's the one on the attack from the three. So I agree there. Has, I think the four is probably a more appropriate position. Jack Forrest, that's the other thing I want to mention. I love yeah. Jack Forrest. I think he's so good. And the other thing you realize about him is... His defensive ratings for the team last year weren't, you know, they were, he was right in the middle of the pack. So some people would worry, oh, I don't think he's that athletic or he can't keep guys in front of him. But then you look at the defensive rating and a lot of the te- games he did play were against really good opponents. He yeah. keeps guys in front of him. It's not like he's a, he's you know, terrible. Athletic. Yeah. Like, I mean, anybody like you watched last year, I watched last year. I mean, that dunk he had against 10, like from a, from like a explosive athleticism perspective, he's there. Um, actually, uh, the, the profile that I just, uh, finished up on him that will run tomorrow where I spoke with John Griffin, um, he actually spoke mostly about the defensive side and basically talked about how the effort is there and the ability is there. The biggest thing for him jumping from the Ivy league to the Atlantic 10, like, don't forget how significant of a jump that is. Um, just in terms of the athleticism you're facing, uh, John Griffin spoke about with him. It's not the ability it's not the desire he wants to defend it was like with him a lot of it was like the schematics of it like just learning and studying film and uh that's what he spent a lot of this offseason on is learning how to position himself better defensively um i don't think he like taylor funk you just want to defend at like an average level because the offense is so high i think jack forrest can be an actually good defender not like just an average defender i think it's there and you had like the metrics to sort of back it up yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I'm going to switch a little bit because the other reason why Jack Forrest is important is I think he, if you have him and Funk on the floor, it spreads the court out just enough to maybe work Obina in a little bit more with a pick and roll, give him more space to operate. And then, of course, Reynolds and Hall gives them way more areas to operate and, and they can bail themselves out with those two standing on the wings. Um, but this brings me to the point of this, the play of St. Joe's. I have not been the biggest believer in the pace and space, high speed, court vision mentality, um, especially because we saw with Hall, it can lead to a lot of turnovers if you're not careful or if you don't have a true seasoned vet dominating the play or holding the ball for majority of it. Like Once Ryan Daly went out, we were really on a learning curve with trying to find guys down the court and not turn the ball over with kind of erratic play. Um, With Obina... Does Lang, or do you think Lang still plays with the heavy three mentality, or are we going to transition to way more, maybe a little bit more motion offense? I'd love to see Lang really nail down the half-court offenses for this team. It's been a big issue for me, um, but I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think that like the, the pace and space piece of it, I definitely think that that's still a point of emphasis. I do think that there will be an incorporation of um, the transfers into that, though. Like, I don't think that 
I, I know that they were not brought in here under the directive of come rebound, play defense. Like they were not, and they will not like they are going to factor into the offense um, and not solely in a pick and roll standpoint. Um, in fact, um, when I, I spoke with John Griffin for the profiles, I ran on both Obina and Coleman, which both ran. And he spoke in those about how um, this is new to them. They're still trying to figure out, well, this, as of the summer, figure out how to incorporate them offensively, but they will be like, they're like, you're not going to see a stat line for Obina where it's 30 minutes, like 27 minutes played one shot attempt. Like he will, they'll get shots. Um, and they probably from Obina won't be threes. Um, but like they'll, they'll factor in a way to get it with Coleman. It's interesting. Um, you look statistically at him from ECU, uh, and he didn't take threes, but that is a strength of his. So like, I don't think they're going to force Obina into shooting. Um, but I think with Coleman, if that is a supposed strength, that's something that they'll try to factor in. Um, I think that the depth that they're going to have this year, if you, if you think Anthony just, you lose Ryan Daly, obviously that hurts a lot. Um, Anthony Longpray left, but then you're bringing in really four guys that all should play like Reynolds and Casper are going to play and Obina and Coleman are going to play. So you have some more depth there to maybe not get tired. Um, Funk won't be getting tired at the end of games like he was last year and the year before. Um, uh, I, I don't, I think that they're, they will still shoot threes. I think the pace is still going to be there, but I think it's going to be a little bit more, um, like directed energy, if that makes any sense. Like I think that it's not just going to be, let's get down the floor and shoot a three. It's going to be like, let's get down to the floor. Can you get Eric Reynolds who can shoot a three? Can you get Jordan Hall who can really shoot a three? Can you get Jack Forrest a three? Can you get like Jadrian Tracy a corner three? That was something that if you look at analytically, he was one of their better like corner three point shooters. Like, can he get shots from where he can shoot? Can like, it doesn't mean is like, somebody else going to take nine threes in a game, but like are the right shooters getting shots from the right spots? Um, yeah, I think so. And then you, they, the bigs will definitely play and offensively play a role. Yeah. Two points you made there that I really like. The first one is, and it's something I've kind of started to talk about a lot is if it doesn't work, coach Lang has the option to change it. There's, there mm-hmm. are options out there for us. And, and that's the thing that might be the strength of St. Joe's this year is we're not the one-trick pony. We don't have to be the one-trick pony. We have a lot of different looks. We can go small. We can go fast. We can go big and slow. We can rotate so we have a center on the floor consistently throughout the entire game. I think that we have a lot to play with. Sure, they're not everyone's a world beater. We don't have a world-class roster like number one in the conference. But we have enough different looks where not every team is going to have the skill set to match because they're much more formulated to one style of play. The other thing I want to mention yeah. that you brought up is Jordan Hall shooting threes. I got an argument with uh, the guys at the Three Bid League pod about this. They, um, one of them, I think it was Matt, was going on. Oh no, it was Tyler. He was saying how oh Jordan Hall only shoots thirty five percent from three. But if you look at the average game or you look at the game log, the first ten games he's shooting like zero for eight, zero for five, zero for six. Then you look at the bottom of the of the uh, season and it's four for five, three for four, mm-hmm. four for five. If he shoots like that and spreads the floor, and now guys are really, if you do you stop him at the three point line, do you have to pick him up at the half court? He can really cause a lot of havoc if he yeah. shoots that consistent three. Yeah, and I, I, it, I, I'm all about analytics. I'm all about all that stuff. One thing that consistently 
makes me laugh. And actually, I think I've listened to like some of like the races, Ricky Sanchez, like um, Mike Levin and those guys have talked about it too. Like, it's really funny how people get so excited about somebody shooting 38 from like 38% from three and then talk about how someone that's shooting 35 from three is not a good shooter. It's like the difference between shooting 35 and 38% over like 70 attempts in a season is only a couple shots. So like, I think with Jordan Hall, like to say he's not a good shooter because he shot 35% from three factor in what you said factor in like how difficult, like, you look at his highlight reel from last year, some of those threes he's taking are contested off the dribble, late shot clock. Like, especially when Ryan was out, just like offensively, he had to do so much last year, which he won't have to do this year. Um, he took hard shots. He was tired because he was playing all, like, I don't, again, I don't think there's a huge difference between 35 and 38%, but like, would I be shocked if Jordan shot 40% from three this year? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Yeah, let's trans. But and let's use that to transition to Jordan Hall and, and bring this bigger point for me. Um, the new thing, and I've said this, um, kind of hinted at it, is to kind of dunk on St. Joe's right now. People are not believing in it. There's a lot of sentiment where they're not happy with the organization, anything like that. But then I look and I go, how can you not be optimistic about this team? I see Jordan Hall and Taylor Funk, who we'll talk about, who is like, no one talks about his improvement at all. But Jordan Hall's the highlight. I mean, how can we look at this team and some people put, you know, they're going to be last in the conference or they're going to be 12th in the conference. And sure, they could be 11th or 10th. I I understand there's not going to be a world beater. But when you have a player like Jordan Hall who can just like change a game so like so quickly and has improved just in one season is already being talked about as being an NBA prospect. um, I don't know how you're not excited about this team and how fans are not, you know, uplifted when they see that we have really decent guys who are going to, or great guys who are going to take over after a guy like Ryan Daly has left the program. So, you know, what are your expectations for Jordan Hall? Is he, can he make first team all conference? That's where I think he should be or could be. Absolutely. I mean, I think with him, there's a lot of things to kind of factor in is the fact that with his, when he trans, when he went through that whole situation this summer with the transfer, um, I would say that if you were to look around the country and say what school it would not take Jordan Hall in the situation that he was in as an immediately eligible transfer, you're talking maybe like 15 to 20 colleges in America that probably would have said like, no, we don't need a six, eight, like forward who can shoot pass will defend rebound. Um, he was top 20 like, in the league in rebounds. rebound gets in pass. Like, no, we don't need that. So, um, I mean, I guess that's my first point is like look around the country and say what team couldn't use that. The second thing would be for fans of other A10 teams that like to dunk on, like, let's imagine that Jordan Hall played for Duquesne. I would look forward to watching Duquesne because I'd want to watch him. Like, if Jordan Hall played at LaSalle, I'd want to watch LaSalle. Like, he is a just a beautiful player to watch. Like, he plays the game beautifully. He plays the game the way that, like, most people mentally think they can play the game, but they're not six, eight and they don't have like, they can't. So like, he's just such a joy to watch. So for other a 10 like fan bases, I'd say, enjoy it. Like I loved watching bones Highland. Like, why would I, why wouldn't you? Um, and I think that Jordan Hall could end up in a not too different scenario to bones in terms of NBA draft type in terms of NBA draft selection. Um, 
Uh, and in terms of like his output this year, he's not going to have to do as much um, with Ryan not here. Ryan was also a very high usage player, uh, a fantastic player, one of my favorite players I've covered. Um, Ryan was a magnet, so like that was good and bad. Um, I think with Ryan not there, and like say instead of Ryan you have um, like an Eric Reynolds next to him in the backcourt, uh, and then say instead of Taylor at the five you have Taylor at the four with. Ejigobino who will like catch lobs like nobody on the roster last year was gonna like catch an alley-oop from Jordan Hall other than maybe like Forrest and Bishop and maybe Tracy like nobody's doing that but then this year you add Casper who who does and will you add Obina who does and will you add um Coleman who does and will so like the lob threat is there now so I think Jordan's assist numbers are gonna go way up this year which sounds crazy because they were he led America as in like, uh, like he was, I'm going to word this poorly. He, he, he had the highest assist for a freshman in America last year. So to say like, he's going to have more this year sounds ludicrous, but like he should, um, because guys should shoot better this year. And I'll have that like upfront thing. Um, I think he won't be as tired this year. I think he may not be as keyed in on this year. So I think like nationally breakout wise, I think that he, um, like he'll, he'll be a, a name. Like, a lot of that will depend on how good St. Joe's is. Um, but I think, like, it wouldn't surprise me, if just assuming wouldn't surprise you, like, St. Joe's goes out there and they play USC. Um, Jordan Hall could be the best player on the court in that game. I mean, against a team with other NBA, like, that, that I'm dying to see him in that setting and then against either Georgetown or San Diego State. Um, and if St. Joe's can win a game out of those two or be competitive in both or win two, um, I think that is like a coming out party for him over that Thanksgiving. Yeah. And just for those who don't realize, I, I have some friends who are still on campus and who are in Hagen a lot from my old athletic days. And they texted me saying that there was a Milwaukee Buck scout at practice um, the other day. So he's, he's legitimate in, you know, who's looking at him. He's a real prospect. Um, speaking of improvement, I said, we we're going to get to Taylor Funk quietly. One of the best um, improved players in the A-10 I think he also has a chance to be uh, maybe third team all conference, but who sees he can go even higher for all I know. But one thing I want to say about Taylor Funk is we could see Taylor Funk leading the team in scoring. You know, we are saying Jordan Hall is the number one player and he is, but Taylor Funk could easily go out there and be the guy who scores the most baskets because Jordan Hall's finding him the most and putting him in the spot to really succeed. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I would not expect Jordan Hall to lead the team in scoring. I mean, I could see him being third or fourth or potentially even fifth. I don't know. Um, I think Taylor probably is the like the clubhouse favorite to be the team's leading scorer, and rightfully so. I think that a huge thing to keep an eye on with Taylor this year is, I mean, one, he could be playing, talking about Jordan Hall playing anywhere in America right now. I, I make that list even smaller for Taylor Funk in terms of like what school wouldn't like to bring him off the bench as a super high character, perfect teammate, perfect citizen, 38, 39, 40% shooter, like outside of maybe like, I was going to say Kentucky, but like Kentucky couldn't shoot last year. <laughs> um, like I, I don't know what school wouldn't want him. And I think he could have gone just about anywhere. And frankly, the way last season was going at stretches, I did not think we would see Taylor Funk again. Um, I think that says a ton about Taylor. I think it says oh, even more possibly about the coaching staff 
that they were able to keep him when I know for a fact that you had top 10, top 15 programs in America that wanted him um, to come there. So the fact that he was willing to come back, I think that's possibly um, Billy Lang's biggest win yet at St. Joe's was getting him and obviously Jordan to stay. Uh, I think that Taylor played out of position a ton last year. I think the fact that he won't have to this year, actually, I don't think, let's scrap that. Taylor Funk did play out of position last year. Taylor Funk was playing against guys that were 40 pounds heavier than him that were banging against him all game. And we all saw halfway through a second half, he was, he was exhausted. He was beat up. Um, he got in foul trouble in the first half of a couple games last year where he was on the bench for 10 minutes, um, eight minutes. Um, he shouldn't have that issue this year. He should be guarding similar players to him he shouldn't be forced to rebound like underneath the basket and he became a really good like rebounder in terms of like reading rebounds last year and he's in you talk about his improvement he's improved i like his body and his rebounding just like exponentially i mean the shooting was always there other parts of his game were always there but just the shape he's in now and his ability to defend and his ability to rebound i think that's where like i mean he really really improved and i'm 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 super excited to see him this year um as like an old man like he's going to be one of the oldest players on the court in the games that he's in um and he's just such a smart player uh i mean i think that he is he and jordan hall i think absolutely both have cases for all league all conference nominations yeah, and it's funny you do mention how he got cut. He got cut. Like, he's actually, like, really, you can just tell his arms are so much more defined. Um, and it's hard to see on TV versus, like, when you're in person. But even the television, you could tell he was just a different athlete all of last mm -hmm. year. And hopefully he's carrying that through to this year. I see no reason why not. Um, I want to mention one thing. You said recruiting. And we've kind of touched on this with Billy Lang and, you know, all this flack or whatever. But another positive of Coach Lang that I always love is the recruiting he does. He is an excellent recruiter, and I don't think anyone, you know, worth a lick of salt who looks at you and says, oh, Billy Lang's a terrible recruiter. He can't even do that right. He would be, they're lying to you then, because that's not a genuine argument. Because if you look at it, first of all, he recruited Jordan Hall, who was like this absolute diamond in the rough. Eric Reynolds, mm -hmm. who was a, a legitimate four-star recruit. Then once he got recruited to St. Joe's, his stock went Back down. Up. And then um, now we have Christian Winborn, who's another great recruit. And he got Jordan mm -hmm. Hall to come back to St. Joe's from the NBA, in theory. Um, so, how about, you know, you're way more into recruiting than I am. How about you talk a little bit about what you hear, or maybe what you see in regards to Lang's recruiting? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that any, I don't think the, the criticism, any criticism there is fair. I think, like, if people want to criticize wins and losses, like, go to town. Um, certainly, because that's wins and losses in terms of, like, real wins and losses. That's a concrete black and white thing. You can point to a record um, and can you defend? Yeah, sure. Like if you want to defend that, go for it. But like, I'm not going to get into an argument with somebody over wins and losses because that's cut and dry um, from a recruiting standpoint, though, like got Jordan Hall when like, I mean, I think like LaSalle was interested. A couple other schools were before he blew up that um, I think the staff's evaluations are phenomenal for them to look at him and get on him and build a relationship there and get a commitment. And then after he entered the portal and went through the dress up to get him back, um, says everything about the relationship there. Um, and also I think that NBA scouts 
I'm assuming gave some feedback there that were like, you know, St. Joe's may not actually be the worst spot for you to continue to showcase what you can do. Um, and then Eric Reynolds, as you said, was a top 100 kid um, with all the high A-10s, but then Big East, everything else there too. Um, extremely athletic, extremely shifty. Um, he's only like 6'2", which is not the traditional size that Billy Lang recruits, but he's really long um, and just has some like like stuff to his game. Like he's really just, he's not rigid. Everything is fluid, um, really highly regarded kid. Like he should be an all rookie team level player. Um, Casper, I think is going to really intrigue people because um, so when he moved to the United States, he was on that Long Island Lutheran team that had like um, uh, Curbelo who plays at Illinois and uh, I think Zed Key who's at Ohio State. So he was not a focal point his junior year of high school. And then COVID didn't have an AAU season, didn't have a senior year at Long Island either. So like your tip and not at all blasting people that cover the A-10 because like there's just no way to know. Like, I don't know Davidson's like deep international recruits. Like I'd be lying. So like Davidson fans aren't going to know who Casper is, but I don't think it's going to take that long. Um, and you mentioned John Rothstein earlier. He tweeted out when he was at the practice that he'll be a fan favorite quickly. Um, like he is big, like really big. Like he looks like a, like a college senior. Um, and I think that was a recruiting win. Like people, like, did St. Joe's beat out like Michigan State for him? No, but they identified him. They built a relationship there, and they closed on him. Um, and he's a kid that, in my personal opinion, will be an all league level player as well in time at St. Joe's, um, due to the fact that he's six eight, has like a forty inch vertical, is strong, can shoot and pass, um, and it's like really nasty. Like he has a like a major mean streak. Um, like a major mean streak that will make St. Joe's fans love him. Um, and I think that he's going to be one of those guys that like from the jump this year, opposing teams are going to hate opposing teams. Fan bases are going to hate. Um, and I think he's going to like enjoy that. So yeah. And then Christian Winborn and then Rashir Fleming, who's a guy that you're, you're recruiting him based on potential, not on the present, but you're talking six, eight, seven foot plus wingspan like Camden's a good school to recruit out of like just it is it's local um it's a perennial national power um and that was a win um they they identified there early they closed early like really early before he had a chance to blow up more um so yeah I, I don't think you can critique this staff's recruiting at all yeah and I live in Jersey and I've I've known about him too so I was excited to see when St. Joe's grabbed them up that it was a good sign for Billy Lang and I love hearing that Casper is gritty I mean, you're right. That's what Philly fans love. I want someone who's going to be the bully of the A-10. You know, I think about back to like Papa Now, like Papa Now used to get in guys' faces. And I, I used to love seeing that. Like, I want a guy who's just gritty off the bench for, for St. Joe's. Um, yeah. So let's close it out. Uh, Matt's a busy guy. Don't want to take too much of his time. So we're going to close it out with, you know, what we should expect for the season and any final predictions, maybe even a prediction on the record. You can give me conference record. You can give me full season record, whatever you want. Give me your prediction on St. Joe's, what you're looking for, and then maybe a number. 
Yeah, so I think that health is going to be key. They're a deep team this year. Um, so could they afford injuries? Like, injuries happen, sure. Could they afford injury, like, on the wing? Yeah. But, like, for them to maximize, I'd say they, like, you have, like, basically two guys that you can't list for, lose for significant time. Like, you cannot lose Jordan Hall for a significant time. You cannot lose Taylor Funk for a significant time. I mean, I would even throw uh, Educate Obina in that because I don't know statistically if he's going to do like he's not going to average 18 and 10, but like just having a 245 pound center that like you don't need to double, like he can just guard individually in the post. St. Joe's last year had to throw doubles all the time. So I think that like those three guys, you keep them healthy. Um, and I think that's big. I think that looking at their, at their schedule, I believe there's four home games that they have before they head out to California. Um, uh, I think that the start to the season will be important. This team needs to believe they can win. Um, all four of those games are winnable. Um, am I saying St. Joe starts off 4-0? and M- Maybe, maybe not. But, like, if they can start off 4-0 and or 3-1 and um, and just, like, feel like, okay, like, we're learning how to win. Um, like, we've proven that we can win. Like, this isn't a repeat of last year. Uh, and they can go out to California I, I genuinely think that they will be in both games out there. I do. Um, I think that they can compete with USC. I think people will see that Jordan Hall can play at that level, that Taylor Funk can. Um, and that second matchup, who knows what that'll be. But I, I think that that out of conference, in a, in a perfect world, they have 12 games. Can they, at a, could they go 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four or something like that? Um, it's not a brutal out-of-conference schedule. I mean, at Villanova is at Villanova. So, like, let's throw that um, out with a grain of salt. I'm not saying they can't win the game because who knows? Anything can happen. St. Joe's has been worse than they are this year and played Villanova tight. So, I mean, they played Villanova tight last year for a while. Um, but outside of that, like, is there a game that if you're a St. Joe's fan, you should look at and be horrified of? I mean, Temple's at home. Like, I don't see any reason why that's a game that should scare people. Penn's good. Um, like it, like Penn's good. Penn's a good basketball team. Um, that game's at home. That game's at Hagen this year. Um, so there'll be some games that they should win that they won't just because, but can they win seven or eight out of conference games? I don't think that's unfeasible at all. Um, and then it's, it's interesting. I see the predictions for the A-10 and I see St. Joe's popping up a lot at 13th and 14th and 12th. Um, and I have very much been wrong before. I mean, I could be, I probably misread it. This is what I get for reading Twitter comments and not the actual article, but something about, uh, some report saying like one in 17 in the A-10. That was our lovely website here at a yeah. Talk. <laughs> oh, no. So I think that, and could that happen? Absolutely. I would say they're just as likely to go 17 and one as one is 17 though. But again, anybody on a national level that criticizes St. Joe's, like, or even like just general a 10, like that is totally justified. Um, and I'm not going to argue with that. Like if somebody thinks that St. Joe's is going to go like four and 14 in the a 10 and they justify it as saying like you lose Ryan Daly, you weren't, they weren't good last year. Like Jordan Hall and Taylor Funk are good, but like George Mason got grad transfers. This team got this look at Richmond, look at, but like my flip on that would be that, there's parts of the St. Joe's team that are that are better than a lot of A10, like not a ton of A10 teams out of that maybe top three or four. And I would even 
argue that. Like, what A-10 teams are throwing Jordan Hall and Taylor Funk at you as two guys that could put up 35, 15, and and 10 a night? Um, not a lot. So, like, and I think most A-10 fans would agree with that. So then it's like, what about the supporting cast? And that's where it becomes the thing. Like, is the supporting cast this year good enough so that those two guys aren't having to do everything. And if someone wants to say four and 14 or one and 17, I, I get it. Um, because like, I thought St. Joe's was gonna be better than they were last year, last year. So like, I'm, I've been very wrong. Um, I struggle seeing them win to 18 league games. I would struggle seeing them win less than eight. Um, I don't, I, and I care more about like when I'm looking at it, the the wins versus the rank the ranking because I don't know what the rest of the conference is going to do. So like someone could say St. Joe's is going to finish tenth. The difference between tenth and seventh might be half a game, and then it's for the intents and purposes of Billy Lang and the coaching staff, it's about the wins. It's not about the exact place in the league. Like if St. Joe's goes nine and nine this year and finishes ninth in the league or so but who knows like who knows how it plays out um i i think they'll be close to 500 in league play if not a little bit above um and i do think that that's me buying into the transfers a lot um and just tinchos was so bad defensively last year that i think anthony earlier you talked about the three-point shooting i think the staff thought they had to score a lot because they couldn't defend so, like, if you know you're giving up 90 points, you got to score 91. So, like, that was their approach, I think, to much of last season. I think this year, if if internally they think they can keep a team to 75, then that changes what you have to do offensively. Um, so, and I, I don't know. I, I If I'm throwing a guess win-loss-wise, like, you kind of close with that, um, I think that they could be somewhere in that, like, 16 and 14, 17 and 13 ish range, which I'm sure some of your coworkers will laugh at and that's okay. Um, I, but it's all, it's all good. Like I'll laugh at one and 17. They can laugh at that. And it could very well be somewhere in between. <laughs> um, Matt, we, we are minds thinking alike because I wrote on my last article, 16 and 14, and you can easily, if you take, as you said, you get the wins out, you put the list down, we can get to nine wins just by looking at you're really going to like I don't think anyone can look at us and go you're worse than Fordham. I'm sorry, they're in a coaching change and there's no way that they're that we're going to drop those games. We could drop one of them, but we're going to win the other one. With LaSalle, we, when we had a full roster, we beat them twice in a row with Billy Lang as the coach and LaSalle isn't much better than they were last. I'm sorry LaSalle fans. I've been covering and writing them last year. They just aren't that much better compared to how much St. Joe's has improved. George Mason might or should drop a game to us. They have a new coach. I know there's a lot of hype. I, I think Kim English is fantastic, and I, well, the the hype is justified. I mean, for them to get, uh, like, I think Justin Fernandez is his name, that that recruit, the top 100 recruit, um, for the, and if I messed his name up, I'm going to get caught out on it, and that's fair. Um there are a lot of teams that I've seen like in that seven, eight, nine range ahead of St. Joe's that uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you could argue both ways. Like I don't, I mean, I think I mean, we don't need to go into other teams, but like even like a VCU, I, I am, I love the a 10. So I'm heartbroken by the injuries that they've sustained over the last couple months. But like 
I don't know if these like could VCU finish ahead of St. Joe's. Yeah, they probably will. But like, do I think that when St. Joe's plays VCU, it's going to be like super one-sided game? Like, no, not even a little bit. Um, I mean, you have your St. Bonaventure, and you have St. Louis, and Dayton are all really good. But like, I don't. I could see St. Joe's finishing higher than a lot of teams that are in that seven, eight, nine range that people are putting out. Yeah, and I guess my point was that we're going to have a lot of these two, you know, you're playing a team twice. It's going to be hard not to split the series. And when you do it like that, when you really look at the math, you can easily start getting up to seven, eight, nine wins, and, and you can actually foresee it in the in the way that it goes. And, I mean, that I'm optimistic. As you said, you're a little optimistic at 16 and 14, and I'm glad to hear. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell the people where we can find you? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is at HH Hardwood. Um, so that's Hawk Hill Hardwood, but HH Hardwood. And then um, from a website standpoint, it is the St. Joseph's 24 7 website, and it's just hawkhillhardwood.com. Um, over the last month or so, I've run, I think, nine player profiles where I've spoken with the three St. Joe's assistant coaches. Um, I have a couple more to run. Um, Jack Forrest should go up tomorrow. Uh, and then I still have um, Jordan Hall and Eric Reynolds and a few more to run as well. But um, they'll all be up in the next probably week and a half, two weeks. Uh, and then we'll get into season previews. If you're not following Matt, you need to follow him. The best writer for St. Joe's basketball. He is the insider, I believe, that you all need to follow if you're a big Hawk Hill fan. Matt, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Matt Gifford of Hawk Hill Hardwood 24-7 Sports. It's a pleasure. This has been A10 Talk Podcast.